Oh, Holy that was... fuck, that was nice. Alrighty, it's a good Garrison. thing I'm reading tonight, fuck. You've got 120 minutes to get this thing done before Zencaster screws us over. Hello. Hello. You are listening to the Micro Machines Podcast. This week, our topic is the M26 Pershing. Shall we do some introductions, fellas? Who yeah. the fuck added anime on my goddamn slide? Ezra. What? No, absolutely not. I would That's never. He's, doing at he's, been a, he's been a barista... Baristas don't actually work from what I've been told, so apparently he has time to add anime to the slides. I, I am not a barista anymore. I, I'm a buster. Thank you very much. I bet that's a, a, I bet it's a false flag operation, that one. I bet it was like Dennis. Probably, Me. you fucking Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Are you calling Vatican? He's, well, if you turn Catholic on us. Um, <laughs> well, you got me, Callum. And I am from New Zealand and drinking a nice Jameson and dry. Because, yeah, I need one. My legs hurt. Everything's getting all cramped up. Alcohol helps. Next. <clears throat> we got me, Dennis, in Ontario. I was drinking an instant coffee, but due to the time constraints at <clears throat> Zancaster, I can no longer fill my cup. I'm being discriminated against. Then you've got me, Garrison. <laughs> Chilling in Kansas, drinking coffee, and uh, excuse me. Uh, apparently, excusing Ezra. That was loud. <laughs> oh, Ezra. Uh, I'm Ezra in New Mexico, currently violating some creme brulee cheesecake from work. The hell, man! Christ alive! Yeah, you know what, Garrison? Get on with it. Let's go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, real quick, start in advance. If I start cutting out, my internet's being kind of shitty tonight. Don't know why. So. Just let me know. Anyways, what is the M26 Pershing? The M26 Pershing is a heavy-slash-medium tank formerly used by the United States Army. It was used in the last months of World War II during the invasion of Germany and extensively during the Korean War. The tank was named after General John J. Pershing, who led the American Expeditionary Force in Europe in World War I. The M26 was intended as a replacement of the M4 Sherman, but a prolonged development period meant that only a small number saw combat in Europe during World War II. Based on the criteria of firepower, mobility, and protection, the U.S. historian R.P. I'm not even going to try ranked the Pershing behind the German Tiger II heavy tank, but ahead of the heavy Tiger I medium and Panther tanks. It was withdrawn in 1951 in favor of its improvised, or um, excuse me, improved derivative, the M46 Patton, which had a more powerful and reliable engine and advanced suspension. The lineage of the M26 continued with the M47 Patton and was reflected in the new designs of the later M48 Patton and M60 Patton. Whoever put my anime on the wall can die. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was Dennis. I oh, knew of course it, it was me. Fucking oh yes, false flag operation. Typical fucking orc. Anyways, development, <laughs> overall <laughs> development. <The> M- <laughs> Sorry, Dennis. 
Uh, the M26 was the culmination of a series of medium tank prototypes that began with the T20 in 1942. It was a significant design from the previous line of U.S. Army tanks that had ended with the M4 Sherman. Several design features that were tested in the prototypes, some of these were experimental dead ends, but many became permanent characteristics of U.S. Army tanks. This series of prototype vehicles began as medium tank project that was similar to, but not I'm sorry, but more modern than the originally introduced M4 Sherman and ended several years later as the U.S. Army's first operational, quote, heavy tank. There you can see the Pershing being built. So if you go back to that last slide real quick, that, that, forward, that one. So whereabouts in the production line was the top high right? Where, where, where was that assembled? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go on garrison you're the Pershing expert let's go third time is a goddamn charm and i bet you hiroshima and nagasaki are within the blast radius of one <laughs> i will destroy you eh. wouldn't be the first time that today that that's been threatened on me oh look another <laughs> fuck it's <right> <laughs> Okay. Ah, fucking Dennis. All right, development. The T20. Ignore that big titty anime bitch down there. The T20 was designed to have a more compact hull than the M4. The Ford GAA. Oh God. What can I say, Garrison? I know your taste. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, everyone, but I just had to do that. One. <laughs> uh, anyway, please continue. For this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the Ford GAN V8, a lower silhouette version of the GAA engine used in the later variants of the M4, had become available. The engine had originally been an effort by Ford to produce a V-12 liquid-cooled aircraft engine patterned after the Rolls-Royce Merlin, but failed to earn any aircraft orders, so it was adapted as a V-8 for use in tanks. So basically, this is the Abrams' granddad, because it has an aircraft engine. i got to say, I love the look of the T-20. Wink. Where, where are the model of a T20? I need a T20. That thing looks awesome. It's so it, cute. It, it looks like a mixture of a Sherman and a Pershing. I know, right? Yeah. It's so cute. The use of this lower bitch. <laughs> Maybe if you followed the fuck along and didn't play with your orc self and the little little anime girl down there. Why are you, you, you calling me an orc? The use oh, of I, this I lower profile engine together with the choice of a rear transmission <laughs> and rear sprocket drive layout made it possible to lower the whole silhouette and eliminate its side sponsons, which is really cool. The T-20 was fitted with a new 76mm M1A1 gun. The 3-inch M7 was considered too heavy at about 1990, at almost 2,000 pounds. Uh, the 3-inch Frontal hull armor was 0.5 inches, also known as 13 millimeters, thicker than the 63 millimeter 2.5 inch frontal armor of the M4. The glacis plate slope was similar at 46 degrees, uh, 
the T20's overall weight was approximately the same as an M4. So it's better. Uh, next, we have the T22, a little buffier little guy. Uh, the T22 series reverted to the M4 transmission because of the problems with the early torquematic transmission used in the T20. The T22E1 tested an autoloader for the main gun and eliminated the loader's position with a small two-man turret. Through much of 1943, there was little perceived, I'm, I'm sorry, yet perceived need within the U.S. Army for a better tank than the 75mm M4 Sherman. And so, lacking any insight from the rest of the Army as to what was needed, the Ordnance Department then took a development detour into electrical transmissions with the T-23 series. Next. All right. Uh, T-23. The electrical transmission was built by General Electric and had the engine driving a generated generator that powered two tractor motors. Uh, the concept was similar to the drive system of the German Porsche Tiger. It had performance advantages in rough or hilly terrain where the system could better handle the rapid changes in torque requirements. The electrical transmission T23 was championed by the Ordnance Department during this phase of development. After the initial prototypes were built in early 1943, an additional 250 T-23 tanks were produced from January to December 1944. These were the first tanks in the U.S. Army with the 76mm M1A1 gun to go into production. However, the T-23 would have required that the Army adopt an entirely separate line of training, repair, and maintenance, and so was rejected for combat operations. The primary legacy of the T-23 would thus be its production cast turret, which was designed from the beginning to be interchangeable with the turret ring of the M4 Sherman. It looks like a Sherman that got squished. It does, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. The, yeah. Look at that little guy. See, now we're getting oh, somewhere. So that, it still has the uh, bogey system, though, so it's uh, almost there. the HBSS system. It, it looks like a little bug with a big head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the T-25 and T-26. Uh, the T-25 and T-26 lines of tanks came into being in the midst of a heated internal debate within the U.S. Army from mid-43 to early-44 over the need for tanks with greater firepower and armor. A 90mm gun mounted in a massive new turret was installed in both series. The T-26 series were given additional frontal hull armor with the glacius plate increased to 4 inches, which is 10 centimeters. This increased the weight of the T-26 series to be over 36 tons and decreased their mobility and durability as the engine and powertrain were not improved to compensate for the weight gain. The T-26 E3 was the production version of the T26E1 with a number of minor modifications made as the result of field testing. In February 1945, the T26 was fielded in the European Theater where its performance received early praise from the Army Ordnance Office officials. The Army named the tank after Army General John J. Pershing when it was redesignated the M26 in March 1945. Ta-da! The M26 Pershing, the one we know now. Production finally began in 1944. Ten T26 E3 tanks were produced at that month at the Fisher Tank Arsenal 
30 in December, 70 in January of 45, and 132 in February of 45. The Detroit Tank Arsenal also started production in March 1945, and combined output was 194 tanks for that month. Production continued through the end of the war, and over 2,000 were produced by the end of 1945. That's a lot of Pershings. Some would say that's not enough Pershing. I would say that's not enough Pershing. Pershing should have replaced the Sherman, like, right after Normandy, but whatever. Uh, let's see. The Super Pershing. The 90mm M3 gun of the Pershing was similar to the German 88 uh, used on the Tiger One. In an effort to match the firepower of the King Tiger, the more powerful 88mm, the T15E1 90mm gun was developed and mounted in a T26E1 in January of 45. This tank was designated T26E1-1. Uh, it's fancy. The T15E1 gun was 37, or I'm sorry, 73 calibers and muzzle velocity of 3,750 feet per second with the T30E16 armor-piercing or APCR shot and could penetrate the tiger's, tiger's frontal armor beyond 3,300 yards, which is 3,000 meters. The model shown used single-piece 50-inch long ammunition, uh, which was the only superior, Super Sherman sent to Europe. Firing trials with the T-15E1 revealed that the length and weight of the single-piece ammunition made it difficult to stow inside the tank and load into the gun. A second pilot tank was converted from the T-26E3 and used a modified T-15E2 gun that had two-piece ammunition. 25 production models of the tank, designated T-26E4, were built, and improved mounting removed the need for stabilizer springs. Post-war, two M-26 tanks had the T-54 gun installed, which had the same long gun barrel, but the ammunition cartridge was designated to be shorter and fatter, while, me, while still retaining the propellant force of the original round. The tanks were designated as the M26E1 tank, but lack of funds cut off further production. Alright, so now we go into combat history. Due to the repeated design and production delays, only 20 Pershing tanks were introduced into the European theater before the Battle of the Bulge showed, showed the serious mismatch between Allied and German armor. The first shipment of Pershings arrived at Antwerp during January of 1945. They were given to the 1st Army, which split them between the 3rd and 9th Armored Divisions. A total of 310 T-26 E3 tanks were eventually sent to Europe before VE Day, with 200 being issued to troops. The actual numbers that engaged in combat is unknown. In February of 1945, Major General Gladion M. Barnes Chief of Research and Development Section of Army Ordnance, personally led a special team to the European theater called the Zebra Mission. Its purpose was to support the T-26E3 tanks, which still had teething problems, as well as to test other new weapons. In March, the T-26E3 tanks were redesignated the M-26. Uh, so Elfsdorf, the first initial point of contact for the Pershing, the 3rd Armored first used the 26 to engage the enemy on 25 February near the Royal River 
On 26 February, the person named Fireball was knocked out in an ambush in Elsdorf, Germany, while overwatching a roadblock. Silhouetted by a nearby fire from a struck Sherman, the Pershing was in a disadvantage. Dis was in a disadvantage. A concealed Tiger tank firing three point-blank shots. The first penetrated the turret through the turret's coax, killing both the gunner and loader. The second shot hit the gun's muzzle, causing it to split. The last shot glanced off the turret side. While backing up to escape, the Tiger became entangled in debris and was abandoned by the crew. Fireball was quickly repaired and back in the fight. Shortly afterwards, also at Elsdorf, another T-26E3 knocked out a Tiger I and two Panzer IVs. The Tiger was knocked out at 900 yards, which is 820 meters, with the 90mm HVAP T-30 E-16 ammunition. I hate that you added the fucking Pershing in my fireball <laughs> picture. Well, guess what? Oh my god, no! <laughs> it just keeps getting better. Ah, uh, you fucking... <sighs> okay. <sighs> okay. Cologne. God, I hate you. On 6th March, just after the 3rd Armored Division had entered the city of Cologne, a famous tank duel took place. A panther tank on the street in front of the Cologne Cathedral was lying in wait for enemy tanks. Two M4 Shermans were supporting infantry and came up on the same street as a panther. They ended up stopping just before the cathedral because of the rubble in the street and didn't see the enemy panther. The lead Sherman was knocked out, killing three of the five crew. A T-26E3 was in the next street over and was called to engage the panther. What happened next was described by the gunner, Corporal Clarence Smoyer. Quote, We were told to just move into the intersection far enough to fire into the side of the enemy tank, which had its gun facing up the other street where the Sherman had been destroyed. However, as we entered the intersection, our driver had his periscope turned toward the Panther and saw their gun turning to meet us. When I turned our turret, I was looking into the Panther's gun tube. So instead of stopping to fire, our driver drove into the middle of the intersection so we wouldn't be a sitting target. As we were moving, I fired once. Then we stopped and I fired two more shells to make sure they wouldn't fire at our side. All three of our shells penetrated, one under the gun shield and two on the side. The two side hits went completely through and out the other side. Uh, four of the Panthers crew members were able to successfully bail out of the stricken tank before it was destroyed. The action was recorded by Signal Corps cameraman, Technical Sergeant Jim Bates. And this, you can read about that encounter in, uh, uh, what's that book called, Callum? Uh, Spearhead by Adam Makos. It is a wonderful book. It'll make you cry. <clears throat> Uh, the rest of World War II, um, Nile, Mannheim, Rohr River, and the Lutendorf Bridge. On the same day, another Pershing was knocked out in the town of Neil near Cologne by a rarely seen Noshorn 88mm tank destroyer at a range of under 30 or 300 yards, which is roughly 270 meters. Good lord, there that's were, point blank. That is, yeah, that, especially for the Noshorn, dude, that's fucking right there. There were two other tank engagements involving the, the Pershing, with one Tiger I knocked out during the fighting around Cologne, and one Panzer IV knocked out at Mannheim. The Pershings of the 9th Armored Division saw action in fighting around the Roar River, with one Pershing disabling two hit 
disabled by two hits from a German 150 millimeter field gun. A platoon of five 26s less less one that was being serviced played a key role in helping Combat Command B of the 9th Armored capture the Lutendorf Bridge during the Battle of Remagen on 7 to 8 March 1945, providing fire support to the infantry in order to take the bridgehead before the Germans could blow it up. In encounters with Tigers and Panthers, the 26 performed well. Some of the division's other tanks were able to cross the bridge, but the Pershings were too large and heavy to cross the damaged bridge and had to wait five days before getting across the river by barge. Europe's bridges were in general not designed for heavy loads, which had been one of the original objectives objections to sending a heavy tank to Europe. Oh, yes, the last bit of combat history in World War II, or lack thereof, Okinawa. In May of 1945, as fierce fighting continued on the island of Okinawa, the M4 tank losses mounted. Plans were made to ship the Pershing tanks to that battle. On 31 May 45, a shipment of 12 Pershing tanks were dispatched to the Pacific for use in the Battle of Okinawa. Due to a variety of delays, the tanks were not completely offloaded on the beach of Naha, Okinawa, until 4 August. By then, fighting on Okinawa had come to an end, and VJ Day followed on 2 September 1945. So, in an alternate reality, if we didn't drop those fucking bombs, there would be Pershings in Tokyo, and that would have been awesome. Let's see, Korean War. At the outbreak of the Korean War, only four tank companies equipped with the M24 Chaffee were operational under the U.S. Far East Command. In July of 1950, when the M24 was revealed ineffective against North Korean tanks, such as the T-3485, the U.S. military hurriedly began to mobilize medium-sized tanks to deal with them. The Far East Command urgently maintained three Pershing tanks which were left unattended at the Tokyo Ordnance Depot and organized into provisional tank platoons. Commanded by Lieutenant Samuel Fowler and deployed them to the Korean Peninsula. However, when defending Jinju on July 31st, all of these tanks experienced engine overheating and became immobilized due to the insignificant maintenance on belts and cooling fans, and eventually all of them were self-destructed. wonder why they just had chaffies. Uh, nobody was expecting a war. Yeah, that's true, because the Chaffee only had, what, the 76mm? Like, the short barrel? 75, the short 75. Yeah, that's right, yeah, which seemed, I don't know, seems a bit light. I mean, if you think about it, there weren't a hell of a lot of tank duels in the Pacific, and so after World War II, they're trying to, like, die off, you know, the war effort a bit, but still keep a presence. So that's probably why they kept the chaffies there, because they're quick, easy to maintain, uh, easy to move, transport places. Uh, look good. Look, yeah, look good. Like you know, all love, that shit. Love the chaffy. Look, great looking tank. Sweet little guy. Uh, around the same time, various tank battalions of the army and the and a tank company from the first Marine Provisional Brigade, which were all fully organized armored training units, were dispatched to the Korean Peninsula along with the M26 Pershing tank. The 70th Tank Battalion at Fort Knox, Kentucky, had pulled the World War II Memorial 26s off of pedestals and <laughs> reconditioned them for use. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, but had to fill out two companies of M4A3s. The 72nd Tank Battalion from Fort Lewis, Washington, and 73rd Tank Battalion from Fort Benning, Georgia, were fully equipped with M26 Pershings. The 89th Medium Tank Battalion was 
constituted in Japan with three companies of reconditioned M4A3s and one of the M per, uh, M26s from various bases in the Pacific. Due to the shortage of Pershings, most regimental tank companies had M4A3 Shermans instead. Two battalions detached from the 2nd Armored Division at Fort Hood, Texas, the 6th Medium and 64th Heavy Tank Battalions were fully equipped with M46 Patent Tanks. The 1st Marine Division at Camp Pendleton, California had all M4A3 Howitzer Tanks, which were replaced with M26s just days before boarding ships to Korea. On August 17th, the M26 of U.S. Marine Tank Company destroyed three T-3045s of the 109th Tank Regiment of the North Korean Army in a few minutes during their first contact at Aubinry, Shanghai, whatever. Then during the Battle of the Bowling Alley, that's a lot easier to pronounce, the M26s of the 73rd Tank Battalion, which supported the ROK 1st Infantry Division during the Battle of Tabu Dong, that... Sounds like a, a, a search tab on PH. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tabu Dong destroyed 13 T-3045 tanks and five SU-75. <coughs> excuse me, five SU-75M self-propelled guns. A total of 309 Pershing tanks were fielded on the Korean Peninsula by the end of 1950, and 29 North Korean tanks were defeated by them during the same period. In particular. Thanks to the 90mm main gun, the M26 was evaluated to be more effective in tank combat than the M4A3E8. However, the Pershing tank was gradually replaced by the new M46 tank in 1951 due to its chronicle lack of mobility as the war evolved into battles between mountains. So, my boy there didn't like mountains. Me neither. A 1954 survey concluded that there were in all 119, mostly small-scale, tank-versus-tank actions involving U.S. Army and Marine units during the Korean War, with 97 T-3485 tanks knocked out and another 18 probables. The M4A3E8 was involved in 50% of the tank actions, the Pershing was in 32%, and the 48 was in, or I'm sorry, the 46 was in 10%. The M26 slash M46 provided or proved to be an overmatch for the T3045 as its 90mm high velocity armor piercing round could, at point blank range, punch all the way through the T34 from the front glacius armor to the back, where the T3045 had difficulty penetrating the armor of the 26 or 46. The EZ8, firing 76mm high velocity armor piercing rounds, that were widely available during the Korean War, unlike World War II, was a closer match to the T-3045, as both tanks could easily destroy each other on normal combat ranges. Damn, so that would just... Right through a T-34, Jesus. Yeah, it'd go through... That's overkill much? And everything. Oh, dude, fuck yeah. That first contact between the Marines and T-34s, the the commander of the first Pershing actually shot like three rounds through the turret of the T-34, and it kept firing at him. And he thought, fuck, we're not even penetrating. And then they aimed lower, and they shot like two shots into the body. And it eventually, you know, killed the crew and all that shit. And they figured out after, you know, they did their BDA, they're like, oh, fuck, we went through the tank. Like, yeah, so <laughs> it's like just punching through, and they'll they'll fine. Sort yeah. Of. As fine as you could be having a tank round going th- through your tank. 
It's fucking wild. Uh, what else is wild is they use Pershings for artillery support. But uh, <laughs> after November of 1950, North Korean armor was rarely encountered. Thank you, Pershings. China entered the conflict in February of 1951 with four regiments of tanks, a mix of mostly T-3485 tanks with a few IS-2 tanks and some other armored fighting vehicles. However, because these Chinese tanks were dispersed with the infantry, tank-to-tank -tank battles with UN forces were uncommon. With the marked, with the marked decrease in tank-to-tank -tank actions, the automotive def of whatever. The automotive deficiencies of the M26 and the mountainous Korean terrain became more of a liability. So, some Pershings were withdrawn from Korea during 1951 and were replaced with the M4A3 Shermans and M46 Patents. The M45 Howitzer tank variant was only used by the assault gun platoon of the 6th Medium Tank Battalion, and these six vehicles were withdrawn by January of 51. So, what, what's the difference between a 26 and a 46? Like, is there much like dif difference between them, like design-wise, or is it just more internals? Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, interesting. Savor it, just savor it. Ew! Look, she loves you. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Do my pushing like that. Uh, oh, that was a that was a very good chat there. Uh, Garrison? Yeah, it was. Thank you, thank you. Fucking took me five hours to get all that. Probably more prep work than we normally do. <laughs> Alright, we're going to have a short intermission, then we'll get on to Model Talk. Uh, that will be the Model News, as well as what we're working on and shit like that. So, we'll be back in a sec. This episode is brought to you by Autoloader Decals. Have you wandered around the shelves of your local hobby store and found that perfect model kit? Great tooling, fun to build and look, you remember seeing the subject. Perhaps it was a truck in the ubiquitous white UN paint scheme in the newspaper, or maybe it was a Sherman tank from your local armour unit. Everything is lining up for a fantastic new project, one with a more interesting connection to yourself, instead of a project derived from a history book. Then you open the kit, and there are none of those specific markings to be found. Water slide decals really put the final touch on a model, and unfortunately for the model maker, most kit manufacturers won't put too much time into designing decals that produce a finished model in anything but its most stereotypical form. That's why Autoloader Decals exists. It is their sincere hope that you'll be able to find as much enjoyment using these special water slides as they have. Autoloader Decal pro products are primarily focused on Canadian subjects, but in general if you're looking for markings that represent vehicles from lesser known parts of modern history, Chances are you might just be able to find something worth trying. The water slide decals are printed through an inkjet printer and sealed with a high quality varnish to ensure their strength on the model. Unlike most other water slides, these decals only need to be submerged for a few seconds and can be placed right onto the model. They are incredibly tough and won't yellow over time. For an added benefit, decals intended for 1 to 35 scale are treated with a special varnish that gives a subtle painted on look that's both in scale and more realistic than other brands offerings. All the products currently in production are listed in the store page. If you have a custom design you would like to order, the best way of making this order is to send an email through the contact page. Generally, the cost of a custom order will be 40-50% to 50 higher than any products that are in stock to account for labour. 
Also, as a special deal, if you have if you are ordering a set of custom decals and you mention the Micro Machines podcast, you'll receive a free exclusive MMP Pinju decal with your order. So next time you're looking to build a specific or unique vehicle, look towards Autoloader decals. Just go to www.autoloadermodels.ca for all your waterslide decal needs. And now, back to the show. So much. And we are back. Hello, world. Hey, that's why I write a computer science student every day. Alrighty, well, Garrison, I think you'd like to tell us a bit about a model you've made of the Pershing, eh? Go. Okay. Uh, this is my Pershing. It's the Tamiya 35th scale Pershing. Uh, I made it to be the fireball that got knocked out in Elsdorf the morning after with medics pulling the dead crew members out. Um, the four pictures there on the right and bottom showcasing the battle damage, the top pictures of those are the actual photographs and the bottom are what I recreated and then the bottom left is the diorama I made which got a first prize at my local hobby show which was really freaking cool. Uh, if you want to see more of that go check out my YouTube channel. Alrighty well shall we talk about the hobby news fellas? Fucking send that shit. Well I'll start off so I Love Kit is coming out with a 1 to 35th scale M48A5 to follow up with their New line of M48s. This looks like a pretty good kit. Lots of slide molding in it, and as well, a little bit of photo etch. I like the winter scheme on that box. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Ooh, uh, so like this is that. a this is a detail kit I found for the HK's HK models B17G. So this is just a uh, interior for the nose. So you can see the CAD renderings, and then the actual. Um, pieces put together inside the nose it looks very good so you got the uh chin gun you got the chin turret you got the twin the 250s you got the bomb site you got everything in there so there's just an, a nice detail upgrade to the nose of a b17g and callum is this one to 32 or one to 48 48 i was going oh, but why am i not looking at the title damn okay look Never at mind. the damn title <laughs> well if you're going to buy that big kit anyways you may as well get this yeah, yeah, I know, right? You might, I mean, you might as well. It looks amazing. Yeah, honestly, I'd love to just build the nose by itself. What? What? As we fix your your Wi-Fi? Oh, I said I'd love to just build the nose by itself. Yeah, actually, if they did that in like thirty second scale, just the nose, that'd be great. Yeah, like the Lancaster. Well, yeah, I was about to say, yeah, uh, who is a border model? They do the Lancaster with just the nose now. Yeah, I'd love to do like. That actually be a pretty cool series just to do nose noses of uh, large aircraft, because then all you do is you mount it on like a bit of board and then you mount it on a wall. Oh, yeah, it could be like a like a bust. Yeah, that'd be really neat. Yeah, especially with the B seventeen having the nice big glass nose, you'll actually be able to appreciate the detail here. Yeah, like you could do mouse it off, right? Yeah, you could do stuff like the uh, Heinkel HE111 or something like that, you know? <laughs> no, no, well, no, the, the A10 better. I want that, I want this kit really bad. Ezra, did you just say what I thought you said? No, no, I said it, I said it Garrison, ironically. Garrison, I'm hearing this right. I don't even care about the Canadian goose, that's cool. Did, Garrison, did, Callum, did, did Ezra just say what I thought he said? He did. He did. 
No, Get I him. said that ironically. I said that I'm ironically. I'm taking from the podcast. I'm taking him. Watch him. I'm actually going to do it. <laughs> okay, so Italy is following up with their 172F35A. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. They're following up with their 172 scale F35B with an F35A. Uh, you may know the F35B because Tamiya did a collaboration with Italy on the molds for that kit. So, for reference, the F-35B, which came out, I think, two years ago now, is the short takeoff and vertical landing variant of the F-35. Now, Atalari is making the conventional takeoff and landing F-35A, which most air forces around the world that use the F-35, they're using this variant. Uh, and this is pretty cool. You know, 72 scale, a lot of the kits are going to be, co- a lot of the parts, I should say, are going to be common with the F-35B because from the exterior, the aircraft are basically the same. But yeah, it's going to have some new decals for uh, American, Italian, Israeli, Dutch, and oh, Australian yeah. uh, F-35s. And yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Right on. Not going to lie, I really want to build the Israeli one in, you know, with all the weapons hanging out. That'd be dope. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, so Trumpeter are releasing another three fi- uh, new 350 scale battleship. If only Jack was here, he'd, this would interest him a lot. So this is a paper class. Uh, this is a paper, like the, the ship ver- version of a paper panzer. So this is the H-class battleship, which is uh, basically the uh, Bismarck and the Turpets, only bigger. Slightly bigger, more guns. You know, instead of having uh, the two-gun the the two two gun turrets, they have three guns. And yeah, it's just Bismarck and Turpets on steroids, basically. That's pretty cool. That is a neat box art they've got as well. I know it's uh, targeting Royal Air Force jets. Those are javelins, aren't they? They are indeed. Which ironically, which is ironic because these were originally designed in the 30s and late 30s, early 40s. I guess they're just like expecting them to last long enough. I don't know. But yeah, if only Jack was here. And Trumpet are taking... Uh, bringing out a new 35th scale vehicle. This is a, it's a German AA truck with the quad 20 mil in the back. This looks cool. I think it was used in the desert. Can't remember the name. Hang on. I've got the name right here. L4500A. Is that what it's called? Yep. Thank you. Oh, yeah, it is. I wouldn't mind one of these, to be honest. <laughs> uh, oh, Dennis, you, goose, you like this. You goose my vowel. What is there? So, Dennis, said, you're, you like this, don't you? When are you going to build it, it this, looks, Dennis? It's me. It's me. Look, it's me and Harvey <laughs> taking so, a trip to Hawaii. So, Infinity Models are releasing an a Archie D three A one Val in thirty second scale. So, the scheme for this is going to be Pearl Harbor, uh, as it is always. But so, this is going to have full details, photo etch. Everything, the whole shooting match. So this looks like a very good, very good kit. I wouldn't mind having it, to be honest. The box art is really cool too. Yep. Well done. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh for yeah. The clear, for the clear, for the clear parts, <laughs> <laughs> the clear parts, the canopy. They have two options: fully closed and segmented, so you can have it open or not. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And I found this one just because. Why not? So this is a new one for Dragon's Nam series. This is an OH-6A K-Use helicopter with a with full a crew. crew. With a crew. Uh, the box art looks amazing. You have a guy hanging out with an M60 on one side, and you can see the six barrels of a minigun on the other side. 
So this thing is in 35th, I think. Yeah, 35th, yep, 35th. scale. Um, this would definitely be a helicopter I want. I would want to build. And that oh, box yeah. art is just incredible. You got the Sky Raider in the background. That's just oof. Oh. That is a chef's kiss. <laughs> say it. Say its name again. <laughs> say it. The Cayuse. No, bitch. The Sky Raider. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get you the forty-eight scale to be a Sky yes! Raider. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Well, what have we been working on this week, gentlemen? Oh, great! It's me. Thank you, thank you, Garrison. Thank you. That was very nice of you. Lovely, truly. Well, I mean, well, you did piercing him, so he's gonna goose I, you. I, I, <laughs> just turned into the Joker. Something inside of Garrison just snapped. <laughs> Tom, you're gonna have to edit that part out because I think it might actually scare some people. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to end up on a few more watchmen. Like, this is me. <laughs> Garrison, what was in that anti-malaria medication you gave him? I'm so tired. He pulled a Roz from where there's your problem. Literally. Well, uh, university over. Math monster defeated. I'm finally being able to get back to the bench. And so I've started off small. You know, I'm not, I'm not going crazy. This is the Hasegawa 1 this 200 scale C47 search and rescue uh, plane. It's a nice little model. Um, you can see with the airbrush in the back, a bit of a reference on the size. But it's actually, it's really well detailed. Fit was great. You know, it's got the nice panel lines, which, you know, will unfortunately have to get covered up because they're way out of scale. But it's nice. And I'm doing it in the scheme of a USAF uh, search and rescue plane. That's Hence the yellow. Yeah. It, Very nice. It's a nice kit. If you can find it, I'd honestly recommend it. It's pretty cool. Is it going to have uh, invasion stripes? Well, it has. No, so it's a post-war aircraft. So what it's oh. going to have is basically black stripes going hor- uh, going diagonal across the wings. And that's what denoted it as search and rescue. Okay, that's dope. Yeah. I'm going to put on a little diorama too. Fuck yeah. What the hell's that? And, <laughs> <laughs> and I've been having a bit of fun with Tinkercad, so I was thinking of scratch building the uh, flamethrower tank and stuff like that for my M113, but decided I suck at it, but I can do 3D design a bit better. So on the left, you have the uh, flamethrower itself, uh, which which would be mounted in the turret if I have my dimensions correct, hopefully. We'll see. And then on the right is the actual tank. So I measured up the trailer. So hopefully this should just slip, slot in. Uh, so I've made this, I've made it hollow. So I'll be able to fit like a battery and some wires and stuff into it. So, but yeah, basically just been having a bit of fun with Tinkercad. So yeah, very nice. I can't wait to see these on the model. Oh, well, I've oh, got to talk to Dennis shit. about that. So yeah. Fair enough. Now he's not busy. Finally. It's about fucking time. Oh, that's you know, dope. You're telling me, Garrison. <laughs> well, uh, this is my 1 to 35th scale AFV weasel with tow. It's uh, to the point where I can start weathering it. The kit was great. Uh, had some fitting problems with the upper and lower hole. But uh, that's right. Nothing a bit of Tamiya Putty can't fix. 
and the decals. The decals are absolute dog shit in this kit. <laughs> Complete horrible. They fucking suck. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. God damn. Jesus, man. Fucking it. How's your tinnitus? Sneeze <laughs> into the mic. Sneeze away from the mic. <laughs> that was away from the mic, believe it or not. Damn. My God. God. Damn. All right. Well, uh, uh, like I said, Weasel's not done. I'm going to add some uh, scratch-built coats and a shirt. Uh, some other stuff on here to cover up injection pin marks and whatnot. But it's got an almost full interior. Uh, that's why I kept the hatches open. It's going to be somewhere in Europe, probably France, during the Cold War in a training exercise. And, uh, yeah, trying out a new wood method also. I painted this uh, Japanese World War II uniform color for the wood as a base color. And then I'm going to try to use oils to make it look like uh, worn out, uh, like oak wood or something. But we'll That'll see. be dope. Garrison, what were the tracks that came with this kit? Were they rubber? They are rubber, yes. Ugh. Yeah, I know. I Enjoy. Remember. And they're I tiny mean, for rubber, too. Oh, dude, they're fucking... There's no meat to them. They're microscopic. Which, I mean, it's fine. Like, I'm gonna, I've already got them made up in dark iron. I'm going to give them a black wash and then just put pigments on them. That's really it. Alright. Uh, this is our current group build going on. It's the Cold War group build. If you would like to participate, whether to uh, go in for a prize or just for fun, join our Discord. We have a whole dedicated section to this. There's a whole little Reddit thing. Or Reddit. F fucking, I can't. Dennis, take it away. We have a, an actual uh, section of our Discord which is currently devoted to posting the kits you are building, your uh, works in progress, and your finished builds for this group build. If you participate, you you can be eligible to be uh, able to win a prize. What we'll do is we basically have an open judging category that the podcast members will uh, participate in. We can't win any prizes, but anyone else can. Uh, we've got some pretty cool stuff up uh, for for winning if you want to go and check it out uh, just join our discord the link will be in the description of the video and as always we'd like to thank jeff hearn from scale colors and se3d <clears throat> so jeff here is a sponsor of the podcast he is sponsoring our group build and also is just sponsoring the podcast in general helping us out he is very very good at that so scale colors he makes his own paints they are they're acrylic. They're acrylic paint. They are non-toxic as fuck. They are really good. Um, they His ones are airbrushable straight from the pot, aren't they? Yes, yep. They're yep. made for airbrushing. Yep, so they're made for airbrushing. And, of course, they're, they're acrylic. They're non-toxic, so you... Hang on, I won't say that. I won't. I was going to say you don't need to use any respirators or anything, but I think Dennis don't would have. Don't say a... that. Don't say that. Don't you always need a respirator? The official MMP position on health and safety is that there is no such thing as too much health and safety. Yeah. Use protection. Yes. Use protection. <laughs> In but, everything you do. So just go along to scalecolors.com and have a look. He has all sorts of three resin printed tracks that are very good. Uh, very well detailed he has all his paints there with every paint color you could ever need he uh, especially naval colors he is a naval guy so naval historian guy so he likes he has a lot of naval colors uh, he is also on our discord so if you join the discord you'll be able to find him there you can ask him all sorts of questions he has a wealth of knowledge but we'll just like to take this time to say thanks to jeff hearn from scale colors if you go along and purchase something 
just let them know you heard it from us. Uh, we will just do a, a little thank you to them. So, yeah. And as always, thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. Uh, we'd like to thank Paul Gallagher and Lord Floki himself for both helping out to support the podcast. If you want to listen to exclusive content like spoilers, exclusive episodes, not spoilers. Cal, Fuck what's ups. the name? Fuck ups. Thank Loopers. you. Thank you. If you want uh, to listen to the stuff we're not allowed to put on YouTube. And um, I can assure you the stuff on there is. If, if well, it's mainly Garrison. Here, if if right. you think we're bad here, uh, you have no idea. There, there are. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it, it's bad. They are funny. It is funny. It's all bloopers. It's just stuff that, jokes that we can't say on YouTube, but we'll figure, well, instead of deleting it, we'll chuck it on Patreon. If you subscribe to the Patreon, you'll be able to see it just as a sort of thank you and just continue to help support our podcast. Right then. Well, gentlemen, I think that was a podcast. That has been the sleepiest podcast we've had yet. I am so fucking tired. Same. Yeah. Next week, we have high bars. Woo. Yep, high Dennis bars. is going to lead us on the high bars. I thought it was you, dude. No, it's you, you fucking goober. If you listen Garrison, to you told me it was Callum's episode. No, nah. fucker, it's yours. Uh, I still get F35, right? Yes, yeah. you still get yes. F35, but you're doing Fine. high mar. And- you're doing high mars, though, because I don't know dick about the high mars. That's like, it, it was made after 1960. Oh, yeah, yeah get, get the guy who studies math to talk about the artillery system. I you're get the one who introduced me to high mars. Wait, was it really? Yes. Bro, I oh. could give a rat's ass about fucking artillery until I met you guys. Well, shit. I, I can talk to you guys about the math behind Heimars. All right, next week, uh, I do a, a, a graduate-level dissertation about the Heimars guidance system. Hell yes. My, na- my name's Dennis, and I'm so glad I finished my, my college math. Oh, let me do a whole fucking episode over math. No, you fucking... Uh, Garrison, whatever, just be whatever. grateful I'm not doing a paper on it. <laughs> <laughs> is this going to be like a, an APS uh, 2.0 episode? Oh, you, you thought APS was bad? This is not an APS 2.0. That would imply that this is going to be on the same level as APS. No, 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 no. It's going to be above it. Oh, yeah. Oh. Put your thinking caps on, boys. We're going to break <laughs> out the equations. Oh, no. I'll do that after I get some damn sleep. All right. I'm sober enough for that. All done. You have been watching and listening to the Micro Machines podcast. We will return next week with the High Mars. Alrighty, bye everyone. Deuces. See ya. See ya.